Hey folks, it's the old humble guy here. You're listening to my favorite podcast, Heated Agreement, and if you're living your best life, you're sipping on a glass of old humble whiskey. Our straight whiskey is made from 90% corn and 10% malted barley and aged five years in used bourbon barrels to give it a nice, light, sweet finish. We take a portion of that whiskey, put it back in new five-gallon barrels, and age it a second time to make our special reserve. Both whiskeys are clean, easy-drinking whiskeys that taste the way whiskey should taste. If you haven't done so yet, head on down to Specs and get yourself a bottle today. And if you want to be a partner with us as we grow, we have an excellent investment opportunity for you. You can find details on our website, oldhumbledistilling.com. Come grow with us. Cheers. I just have a very hard time expressing my emotions, and I can't stop from yelling. So I'm very sorry. I don't mean to offend you, but I'm not going to stop yelling. Heated nation, baby. We're talking about Lynn Bowden right now, so why the hell do I care about Anaya Smith right now? Because I have an opinion and I said it. Howdy, everybody, and welcome on in to Heated Agreement. Today on the show, we welcome in ESPN sideline reporter and SEC network analyst, Cole Kublik. But before we get into the interview, Woody wanted to try out a new segment. Woody, take it away. All right, James, I got some uh, trivia for you. You ready? Yeah. I'm going to be asking you guys sports trivia every week now. You ready? Whose home runs record did Mark McGuire break in the 1998 season? Um, I thought you'd for sure know this one. Who were they chasing? They were chasing, I don't know, Henry Hank Aaron. No. Oh, come on now. Roger Maris. I need to watch that documentary again. This is a good doc. Yeah. In 2013, which quarterback started nine games for the Oakland Raiders? In what year? 2013. I started nine games for the Raiders in 2013. Seven seasons ago. I have no clue. Terrell Pryor. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that one was tough, but it was fun because I wanted to bring out Terrell Pryor quarterback. Which NBA? This is the one that I guarantee you get. Which NBA Finals did the Oklahoma City Thunder lose to the Miami Heat? What year? <clears throat> that was 2012. Yes, sir. Ding, ding, ding. One for so I remember Let's that. Go. I remember that because that that series was going on while I was at Boys State the summer before my senior year of high school. Ah, nice. So the Thunder won, like, what, game one, and everyone's freaking out. They're like, they're going to beat the Heat, and then, yeah. All right, this it is the well. hardest one. Who was the Toronto Raptors' first pick in the 2009 NBA draft? 2009. Don't overthink it, is my advice here. Here's in 09. DeRozan's, nah, he's too young. I don't know, Valanchunas? DeMar DeRozan. Uh, I didn't think he was that old. That old. I was surprised, too. I mean, that probably makes him, like, 31. Yeah, that's all I had for trivia. The The quarterback for the Raiders was a total bullshit. That's not even a trivia question. It is. It's a great it's trivia It's not question. a trivia question. It's a great trivia question. I mean, what, but you Like, that to, has to mean something. You know, like, it has exactly. to... Exactly. No, that's my point. You have to think, why the hell would I ask you that? No, to, okay, but it, it, there was no relation to anything going on. You know, like, that, that's a shit question. Because nothing, mem- there was nothing memorable about those nine games, right? It wasn't like, oh, you should oh, remember those nine games. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was memorable for him being shitty. 
Hey, y'all, it's time to welcome in our guests for the show this week. As usual, our guests are brought to you by Law Terrain Watches. Right now, over on lawterrain.com, you can use the discount code DASH40, that's D-A-S-H-4040, to get 40% off on the Compass, Red Crest, Legacy 2, and the 1893. Law Terrain Watches, it's time to tell your story. Yo, Pierre, you want to come out here? Cole Kubrick, because we know Cole's always fired up about something. But here's who says bowl games don't matter. People like you that, that write for <laughs> newspapers and right. media nerds. Country music is meaningless to me. I don't listen to any of it. It doesn't make it meaningless. They still have a damn award show that gets big ratings every year and people buy music. All right, guys, welcome in Cole Kublik. Cole, thanks for joining us. Uh, we want to get you on and talk a little bit about SEC basketball, football, other stuff going on. First of all, you know, thanks for joining us. How's, uh, how's everything going? Everything's good. Just uh, glad that we got through the football season. Glad we finished it. Got through uh, the postseason. And 19 games inside college football stadiums in 20 weeks was, uh, was pretty cool. So I was, I was honored and appreciative to be able to do it. So uh, now we now we just move forward to the off season, which feels like uh, a lot more uncertainties. Yeah. So so you're working with uh, SEC Network and, and doing games. You uh, played football at Auburn for for any listeners that don't know. When when did you know you wanted to get into into the media and sports journalism and and how hard was it to break it as a player to break in? <laughs> my my story is a little bit different than a lot of other people's. Um, I mean, I knew when I was a kid, this is what I wanted to do. Uh, I was I was a weirdo that, you know, when I was 16, 17, driving around, I was listening to sports talk radio most of the time. I listened to sports radio on my way to school, on, my home from, on the way home from school. Um, we would play sports video games, NBA Jam, RBI Baseball, Tecmo Bowl, and I would actually call the games when we would play. My friends would ask me to, to call the games when, like, we would rotate out and it wouldn't be my turn. Uh, <laughs> so I've, I've kind of always wanted to, to – I've known that I've wanted to do this for a long time. Um, when I got out of school and, and I was a communication major, started out radio, television, film, that went away. It turned into communication and that was my major. And when I got out of school, it was very different. There, there were no websites for each individual school. There was no SEC network. There weren't conference networks. You know, there weren't, there weren't no podcasts. Nobody knew what that was. So it was kind of like you were one of the three or four TV crews that got to do games or you were on the one local sports talk station. And that was about it. Like there was no other real outlet for you to say, hey, I want to be a part of sports broadcasting somehow, some way. That was, that was pretty much what you did. So I actually took a job in pharmaceutical sales and moved to Huntsville, Alabama. And my dad had introduced me to a guy that owned a cluster of radio stations in Huntsville. Uh, Steve Shelton was his name. And he owned a rock station, which is still on the air there, Rocket 95.1. And listen to Jimbo and Cassio in the mornings there. It's one of my former co-hosts. And they carried Auburn football. And I literally just – I was on my way home from, you know, making my calls as a drug rep that day. And I pulled into the parking lot. And I walked in. I asked if Steve was there. He was. She, girl buzzes him. I go to his office. We catch up. I said, hey, man, um, you carry Auburn football. I said, I was on the team last year. I said, the guy who played quarterback with me lives 20 minutes away here in Decatur. I said, why don't you give us like a pre-pregame show? I said, we know the team better than anybody. And he said, I learned my first really valuable lesson in sports media, especially sports radio. 
really radio in general that day. And he said, well, if you can sell it, you can have it. And so Ben Leard and I went out and sold a couple hundred bucks in advertising and they gave us a 30 minute show. We taped it on Wednesday nights. And I remember the first one that we taped and you got to consider now this is with commercials. So a 30 minute show, we had about 16 or 17 minutes of airtime. And the first show I recorded, I remember driving home. I called my mom and I said, that's where I need to be. That's where I belong. That's what I need to do. And she said, well, that's great, but don't quit your day job until you can figure it out. And that was kind of my second very important life lesson when it came to sports media, because a lot of times I tell young kids, that's what you're going to have to do. You're, you're going to have to find a way to make it work. You're not just going to step in and be Kirk Herbstreit, Tim Tebow, Aaron Andrews. You know, it's one of the most annoying things that, that I have, or I guess answers that I get to conversations. I always appreciate when people reach out to me and, and I want to help as many people as I can because there were so many people that helped me along the way. But one of the most annoying answers that I get is, what do you want to go do now? And I'll get a female that'll say, well, I want to be Aaron Andrews. Or I'll get a guy that says, I want to be Kirk Herbstreet. And <laughs> I just kind of laugh and I think to myself, you realize there's only one of those, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's not. I mean, that, that's not like a position that you could point to five or six different people on different platforms that are kind of in the same role. Like that's they're at the pinnacle of what they do. That's it. There's there's not another one above them. So it's interesting. I, I tell people a lot of times I ask people a lot of times, like before you really go into this, you need to think about what is your acceptable ceiling in this profession? Because if it's probably going to be lower than than what you would normally say. So if you say, well, my acceptable position would be doing sidelines on the primetime game Saturday nights on the SEC network. Well, what happens if you only get, you know, get in the booth on ESPN three games in the Ohio Valley conference or in, you know, the WAC or something like that? Like, what is that? Is that going to be good? Are you going to be okay with that? Because that's not your pinnacle. Like if, if my pinnacle was to be on jocks where I am now, but I could only ever make it to the ump where I used to be on in Huntsville, which is a much smaller station. Would I've kept doing that? Would I be okay to continue to do that? So you got to really come up with that. You know, I know a lot of people do this because they love it. And I'm very fortunate. I tell people I haven't worked in seven or eight years. I, I really haven't. I have not been to work in probably since I'm trying to think I got back into radio in 2013 in Huntsville, I had to take about a year and a half off because the station that I was on previously in Huntsville just decided they weren't going to pay me anymore. I guess they thought I was going to do sports talk radio for free. And <laughs> that lasted about a week. Um, I turned in my two weeks notice. They didn't believe that I was leaving. And when my two weeks notice was up. I, I walked away and didn't have another job, but I just couldn't <laughs> do that anymore. And so then I finally got back in and, you know, it's so, I mean, since I started that, I mean, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been to work one day. I, I, I love the prep. I love the, I love the grind. I love the, I love the study. I love, I love everything that comes with it. Taking notes, looking at new things, coming up with opinions, coming up with segments, like studying film of players that I'm going to see in games, uh, doing background on, on players and coaches and, and teams that I haven't covered before. Like, I love all of it. And it's not work to me. I do it because I enjoy it. And I'm just, I'm fortunate enough to get paid to do it, but it's, um, you know, when I first started, I, I started out on that radio show and then I, I stayed kind of part time. I mean, this is that was 2001. I got my first full time job in radio in 2010. Wow. And then before that, I did 
So that we called that the 614 show, which is a terrible name. I was number 61. Bim was number 14. So 614, you can see it's really is <laughs> stupid. But That's some it, Dak it Prescott, Zeke Elliott yeah. numbers yeah. they had yeah, going on. It, it kind of worked for a minute, I guess. And so they actually – Ben actually moved to Auburn after two years of doing that. And he found a station in Auburn that wanted us to keep doing it. And we were going to do it from Auburn. So we did it from Auburn for the home games. And so I would go down there and do it. And John Cole, who worked for the Auburn Network, he actually you know, heard me doing some of the pregame stuff. And he knew that, that I wanted to get a little bit more involved. And he said, hey, um, you know, Stan White's moving over to radio. I got a color spot open for the spring game. Would you want to do it? And I was like, yes. He's like, well, do you want to know how much? I was like, no, just I don't pay me whatever. And I'll, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it if you tell me it's 10,000 or 10. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. So I did that. And he's like, cool. Do you want to do the, the, the replays for CSS during the fall? Now, mind you, there is no, <laughs> there is no CSS anymore. Um, and we did like a couple of pay-per-views and there's no more pay-per-views anymore, except for Oklahoma. I think they have like one a year. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of, you know, it just kind of shows you how different things were. So I did two seasons with Andy. It was a blast. It was great. I learned so much from him because he's a true professional. And it was also a great, it was a great learning ground because we weren't live. Now we knew everything that we were saying was most likely going to make it to air, but they could also, if something bad happened, they could pull it out. So that really helped to sort of be able to show some personality and let yourself go. There weren't near as many nerves early on when I was able to do that. Right. And then when ESPN started taking over the rights, um, I remember talking to a guy over at CSS in Atlanta and he's like, listen, man, I've got this Sunbelt package. Do you want it? He said, it's a full season. And we were going to do like one or two Auburn games, maybe. And I said, I mean, I treated it like football. If I ever want to go somewhere with this, I need reps. Like, I need practice. And so I'll take 12 Sunbelt games over one Auburn game. That's not even debatable. And there were some Auburn people that were really mad that I made that choice and didn't understand it. Now, looking back today, what I should have done and what I wish I would have known someone to ask that would have told me this is – and because I didn't think I had any leverage whatsoever. Not, not, not that it was a real leverage move, but I probably could have gone in there and said, hey – do you mind if I still do the one Auburn game that comes up and can I get out of our CSS game that week to go do the Auburn game? He would have probably said, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I did see at the time. So, though, I can see. Yeah. At the time I was, I was like, I don't want to, I'm not trying to burn any bridges. I don't yeah, want to make anybody course. mad. And this is a great um, opportunity. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta go with that. Yeah. And so I did, I think I did three years of Sunbelt and I worked with Joe Davis who does college football for Fox, NFL for Fox, uh, Major League Baseball for Fox, and does Dodgers games. Uh, did a World Series game last year, by the way, this past year. I worked with Joe Block, who does radio and TV for the Pirates. And I worked with Tom Doerr, who called two Bulls championships for WGN um, right. in the 90s. So I got to work with three amazing professional broadcasters, taught me a lot, had a lot of great conversations with them. And, I mean, I covered guys like Hugh Freeze. I covered guys like Malzahn. I mean, I got to know a bunch of people in the Sun Belt, you know, going through. And, I mean, I had never been to Denton, Texas. I had never been to, <laughs> uh, you know, Lafayette, Louisiana. I, I had, you know, a lot of places that I got to go that's pretty cool and call games and got to see some good football and good football players and, you know, kind of kind of cut my teeth that way. I thought that was just going to lead right into something. And then ESPN comes in and they take over the Sun Belt too. 
And the guy who was actually in charge of ESPN three, which is where all the Sunbelt games were going. He and I had a long conversation one day and he said, you know what, man, like I, he's like, I think you've reached your pinnacle. He said, I don't think you call a very good game. Some people like your style. Um, I don't really, I'm not a fan of it. He said, I don't think that there's anything else for you to prove. So I don't really need you. If I have an extra game or two, I'll try to throw it your way. But as far as we're concerned, like, you know, we're, we're kind of done with you here. Uh, thankfully, the SEC Network launched that same year. And a friend of mine named Bo Kerr, who is now the associate AD at Samford University in Birmingham, uh, was working for ESPN Plus. And ES- or, I'm sorry, ESPN Regional, which is also not a real thing anymore. And he's like, listen, he, he, Bo and I were in school together. Bo kind of taught me how to study when I was at Auburn. We had a bunch of classes together. And he's like, here are the three people you need to call. Like, you need to call John Basalo. You need to call Mike Moore. You need to call Steve Ackles. You need to call Stephanie Drewley. And like, if people don't know who Steve Ackles and Stephanie Drewley are now, like Steve Ackles is basically overall football at ESPN. And Stephanie Drewley is a, a high executive at ESPN, like oh, VP of talent. And I mean, she's, she launched the Longhorn Network and she's just skyrocketed at ESPN. So thankfully I was able to develop a couple of those relationships and Steve Ackles kind of believed in me. He threw me a couple games and then I got a sideline deal with the Mississippi state spring game. Like I did two games the first year that the SEC network was launched. I did like Arkansas Nichols. And then I did like, God, who did we do? Mississippi state and somebody like two alternate games that just, I mean, no, they, they weren't great games at all. And they were on the alternate channel. And so I, I wasn't even really involved when, when it was launched or on the ground floor. And then the next year I kind of did a hodgepodge of games. They put me with Mike cousins, and Kevin Weidel. Kevin Weidel is now a scout with the Ravens. He's killing it. Mike Cousins still working for ESPN. We had a blast. We had a great crew. And we ended up doing like 13 games, something like that. And, I mean, we did like a Utah State game. We did like a Houston – we did like a Memphis SMU game, a couple SEC games. Like it was it was a fun year. And the next year I I finally got like on a regular crew. They put me with Tom and Andre on the early SEC network game. So, but like I can remember – that year that I had two games, I had a conversation with my wife in the off season. And she's like, listen, she said, we need to talk about your future. I was like, okay, what what do you mean? And she said, well, I can't deal with Saturday Cole who's home in the fall because that Cole is miserable. (laughs) And I can tell that he hates being in front of the TV. So you need to figure out how to not be home in the fall so you can be happy and I can live with you or else we need to find something else for you to do. (laughs) <laughs> and then thankfully the next year is when we got like 12 or 13 games. And then it just kind of, it kind of went from there. So long story short, what I'm trying to say is my route has been very different than most people into this. And by no means would I ever say that this is the path that you should try to follow. Um, <laughs> because there are times that I said, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like I, mean, I just did XFL games. Like I just did, um, I just did the Outback Bowl. I mean, i there are times that I look at this whole thing and like, I mean, I was, I did national championship game routes with Scott Van Pelt. I mean, sitting at the desk with him. And there are times that I'm sitting there thinking like, how in the hell did I get here? <laughs> like, how yeah. did this happen? Like, I have no idea how this, I mean, I know I just told you guys all that stuff, but still sometimes I sit back and think like, I have no clue how this whole thing worked out. Like there have been so many variables and conversations and emails and phone calls and maybes and ifs and ands and buts and what ifs that just, I mean, somehow, you know, 
the, my favorite quote is from Kevin Weidel, who I worked on that crew with. And we were talking about our future when he got let go at ESPN. He was going to go into scouting. And he's like, listen, man, you, you do everything the way it needs to be done. But just remember this. Your work will present itself. And that's all you need to know. Hmm. And that's like my favorite quote that I've ever heard because I really believe that. that. At some point in time, if you're putting the work in and you're putting the effort in, it's going to show up. And that's kind of why I go back and ask that question that I told you guys about at the beginning, like what's your acceptable ceiling in whatever field it is you want to go to, because you might be really happy being in this field, but if you're not going to be happy with what that ceiling is, then you should maybe think about redirecting where you want to go or what you want to do. So it's just, I, I think that wherever you are, whatever you do, if you're putting in the work, it's going to show up at some point in time, you might not go to the exact spot, that you want to be in. You might not be in the exact seat, the exact network, the exact game, you know, whatever that is. But if you're putting in that work, people are going to appreciate it. People are going to see it. They're going to know it. They're going to recognize it. And good things are going to come from that. Yeah, that's crazy that you went. That's some great advice. But, uh, you know, it's crazy. You went from someone telling you your ceiling was Sunbelt games to destroying Bloomin' Onions on ESPN. I, mean, right, I don't so even we, think he, I don't even think he's, I, I think he essentially was telling the, me that my ceiling was below continuing to do Sunbelt games, which is a crazy yeah, thing about true. <laughs> so we, uh, we have a few quick questions for you. If you got a couple minutes. Yeah, absolutely. No, we're good. I want to ask you about, uh, I saw you tweeting about Bama basketball earlier today and, and the run they're on nine and zero start to the sec. Is this the best chance since 07 Florida of a team to win the football and, and basketball uh, championships in the same year? Oh man, I'd have to really. Th- I would. There may be an Ohio State in there somewhere. Yeah, so I looked at it, and there only four teams made the tournament, and that's including LSU last year when there was no tournament, but they were going to get in. Um, two teams went to the round of thirty-two, and and that's it. No one even to the Sweet Sixteen. What was wow. where was Texas when they had Vince Young? Um, oh five, they went to the Elite Eight, but that was before that was- Florida in 07. Florida won them both in 07. Okay. Yeah, so that wouldn't that would have been before that. I mean, probably. Yeah. I mean, I I don't. What, what's this Alabama team ceiling? Is it a top five team? Is it they need a run in the tournament? I think they're a top five team right now. Um, yeah. And here's the thing: is you know, if you if you wanted to put this into sort of football perspective, like if you wanted to to make the football analogy, I mean, they're they're kind of like the Chip Kelly in the the late two thousands where. I think that Nate has them running an offense in a way that not a lot of people see on a regular basis. And so the way that they space things, the way that they get up and down the floor, uh, they're playing a lot better on defense and they don't get much credit for that. Um, I don't know how he's done it, but the confidence that he has instilled in that group has really been amazing to watch. And I think that probably is more important than anything else we'll talk about with them. It's just that they believe they can go out there and win Mm -hmm. and they believe in what they're doing. Um, and I think that's, that's probably, you know, again, football analogy. We talk a lot of, a lot of times about these offensive coordinators that, you know, they're going to run their offense no matter what, or you have the, you have the coordinators who, well, yeah, we have more designed quarterback runs because we have a mobile quarterback or no, we throw the ball 15 times a game more this year because we have a quarterback and receivers who are capable of that. Like he knew what he had and he sort of built this around what he had. And it's just – I think it's going to take a little while for people to catch on to exactly how they're doing it and, and be able to react to it. So I think they can win a national championship because yeah. they, can, they can score. And, you number one, you're going to have to be able to score with them. 
And then number two, like if they're not off, you're going to have to be able to outscore them. And that doesn't really seem possible for a lot of teams. Yeah, so, they can shoot the lights out of the gym. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the problem that they would have is kind of like Albert a few years ago. You run into a Virginia that plays a totally different style, and all yeah. of a sudden that becomes problematic. Or, I mean, if they have, a, if they have an off night, it's, it's, they're probably not just talented enough in a lot of different ways to just go out there and beat a Gonzaga or maybe even a, a Texas. I can't wait for the Oklahoma game this weekend. It's going to be fun mm-hmm. to watch. But, you know, they get against some of these teams like a Baylor and they don't shoot well. Obviously, it's probably not going to – they're not going to be able to just find a way to win. But they shoot really well most of the time. So, I think that, that puts them in every game. And yeah, yeah. I think they're probably a top five team right now. And I think that – I mean, you, you think about the opportunity that they had this weekend against Oklahoma, a top ten team with multiple top 15 wins this year. They win that game. There's a good chance they could win out in the league, even if they only drop one. I think Missouri's the only other ranked team they have left. Yep. So they're going to they're gonna have a chance to, to move up to a two or a three seed. They're probably a three now. They're going to have a chance to move up yeah. to a two. They go win the SEC tournament. We might legitimately be talking about them as a one. So I think they absolutely have a chance to, to make the final four. And with the way they shoot the ball, anything can happen once you get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So um, to watch too. Absolutely. I'm I'm joined with Andrew and Trent. They got some questions for you, so I'm gonna shoot it over to Andrew real quick. Hey Cole. Uh, so obviously you being from Auburn, I imagine you follow them closer than just about anybody else. Um, about a month in, what are your thoughts or initial thoughts on the uh, Brian Harson hire? Do you like the assistance he's got gotten? Uh, what do you think uh, about Brian Harson? I think Brian's put a put a good staff together. Uh, going back to the hire initially, uh, I thought it was a a very strong hire. Um, I thought it was a a probably a solid B plus hire. And the thing that I was most excited about was the fact that the athletic director vetted the interest, vetted the candidate, came back, sold the candidate to the committee, and then went out and got the deal done and convinced the president to help him make the deal. And they went out and hired him. The fact that this was not a, a hand-selected candidate from a single booster or a group of boosters placing someone in that spot that they wanted so they could have access or control or whatever you want to call that, that's, that was literally – those were gigantic leaps, not steps. Those were leaps for Auburn's athletics, yep. just top to bottom. To, to be able to, to allow that to happen, for that to happen the way it did, was monumental. And, and people who don't understand it, I think you guys probably do, but for people who don't understand it, they would probably roll their eyes at that. But really and truly, to, to have that happen that way was just massive. And yeah. so uh, I, I've been around Coach Harson. I had him, in, again, going back to the Sunbelt days, I had him at Arkansas State. Um, I've had him a couple of times when he's been at Boise. I think he is a super focused, uber dedicated, no nonsense, no BS football guy that is going to demand excellence from his team in every way. I think the consistency that he will bring will be very welcome. And I think that's something that will show up each and every week. I don't, I'm not going to predict that he's going to win 10 games a year or a national championship, but I don't think you'll see 10 wins, six wins, seven wins, 12 wins, eight wins, five wins. Yeah. I mean, I think you're going to see yeah. a pretty consistent brand of football once they get it going. Um, I thought he, he has a really nice mix of his guys from Boise some SEC guys, and some Auburn guys. You bring Zach Etheridge back, who played at Auburn, to coach corners. You keep yeah. Carnell there. You know, he oh, had yeah. Tracy Rocker. Obviously, he's going to move on to the NFL. But you bring in an NFL guy there uh, to coach the defensive line. 
Um, I like the fact that he has two offensive line brains on his staff. You've got his former line coach at Boise coaching tight ends. And then you bring in Will Friend, who has a ton of SEC experience, played in the SEC, um, obviously, to be able to help out. And then he has two quarterback developers between himself and Mike Bobo. I think those are two positions that Auburn probably needs more assistance developing than any other position on the field. And I asked him on our show Monday when he, when he came on, three-man front in Birmingham, if that was intentional. And he said, absolutely. He said, those are two positions that he knows they have to be successful with, that they have to find ways to help improve. And that was part of his goal to be able to do that. So I think the mixture between his offense and Bobo's offense is going to be fun to watch. Um, I think the, the Derek Mason hire was absolutely phenomenal. Yep. I think Derek knows defense. I've seen how Derek relates to his players covering Vanderbilt the last few years. Uh, they, they, they view him as a father. They love him. Uh, they do anything for him. Just having him in that building is going to be a big win for Auburn football and Auburn athletics. And then I think that'll, that'll roll over onto the field as well. So I think, I think so far everything's been great. There are a couple of unknowns with some of the guys from Boise that, that obviously I don't have a ton of experience with or know, um, you know, linebacker coach that came over from Memphis. I talked to Ryan Silverfield about him and he said he was a guy that he really wanted to keep and said his guy that he really respected and obviously couldn't keep him. But I think that shows you kind of what he meant to that program. So I, I think things are, are in, in really good shape here about a month and a half in and I'm, I'm pleased with everything that he's done yeah it was definitely not the hire I expected Auburn to make but that was a very good thing I think I thought that they would try to go after um kind of similar to Malzahn you know somebody hand-picked like you said and I thought that the Harson hire was better than I ever expected them to make absolutely I mean there there are probably four or five names that I could throw out that most Auburn fans, if the, if that would have been the head coach, they would have rolled their eyes and said, well, this is so-and-so's pick or this is Booster X's pick, and it's it's going to be what it's been for, you know, the last however many years. Or this is going to – actually, this is, this is going to go back to what it was, you know, probably pre-Tuberville or whatever. And, and at some point in time, it's going to melt down. It's going to be problematic. So, yeah. um, I think from that perspective, that, that, gives, that gives Brian Harson and Auburn football – a real chance to take some big steps forward uh, in the next five, 10 years. Yeah, it really does. That's, that's the kind of cohesion that you definitely want to see, especially after, I don't want to say it was like a, a dramatic end to Gus, but like it, it kind of caught me a little bit off guard. And then at the same time, like I totally agree with you, like they're bringing in this consist, this, I, I think this level of consistency that is going to be really refreshing for a lot of Auburn fans. My mom went as a, Auburn, Auburn Tigers. So, I mean, I deal with that all the time. <laughs> well, and I, I think too, and, and I've, I've tried to state this publicly a few times that one thing that Brian Harson has going for him is that that program is on, on very good footing. The yeah. foundation of the Auburn football program is in a great place. And, and yes, there, there are talent deficiencies. There are, there are spots that you'd like to have more depth. You'd like to have, you know, maybe an upgrade in talent in certain places. Of course, that, that's that's probably 95% of college football. Yeah, unless you're but, Bama. <laughs> sure. Unless you're Bama um, or Clemson, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio, Ohio State. State, probably yeah. the only ones that don't, don't suffer those issues. But Pretty much. <laughs> I, I think when, when you when you look at the, the kind of, of kids that they have, uh, the lack of off-the-field issues, the academic yeah. standing of most of the guys, you do have some real playing experience. The recent success in recruiting – recent success on the field as well. I mean, keep in mind, it's a team that beat Alabama the year before last. So, oh, yeah. um, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I think all of those things 
will assist in this transition going a little bit more smooth than, than some people may realize. Like there are, there are rebuilds and then there are takeovers. This is much yeah. more of a takeover than a rebuild. Oh yeah. Yep. That, completely that's agree. a, that's a great way to coin that. I, I like that a lot. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> sure. So I guess I'll just round things out with my last question. So this is kind of like a biased question coming from a, uh, an A&M fan, you know, we're all Aggies here, but it kind of seems as of lately with all, it, all of the new schedules coming out that there's a lot of fans, particularly in the big 12 who want to make a big deal of certain schools in the sec and other conferences scheduling FCS schools and, and quote unquote weaker out of conference schedules. But like, if you look back, especially at either history or current like updating schedules that they're, you know, putting games on the uh, record for right now, it's either, I don't know, to me, it seems like they're either equivalent games or almost lesser in some cases. And then those same schools over in the big 12 particularly want to claim that they're playing higher competition by playing SEC West schools, which coming from an Aggie, it's kind of a little bit confusing to look at that sometimes, or especially right now, you know, being that like, I don't remember who all uh, Texas just scheduled, but I'm just going to call them out by name. <laughs> Texas fans on Twitter have been getting in my getting on my nerves a little bit lately. So I'm just wondering if you think that there's a little bit of a double standard or if it's just a perceived double standard by SEC fans. I, I think that there, there are always going to be, because of where the SEC is and how most SEC fans and fan bases treat their team and the league, um, which most of it can be backed up, that there's always going to be some animosity built with other teams around the country. Obviously, the rivalry that you're talking about, which I'll still call it a rivalry because um, I, I think it's it. just whether or not whether or not they're playing, they're, they're like you're saying. I was asked. I did McElroy and Danny's show earlier this week, and and they asked me that. Um, they said something about that there are Texas fans that are mad that. A&M is using the SEC logo too much in recruiting. And I was just thinking, <laughs> well, I mean, hell, if I, when you look at the number of draft picks, the SEC plugs out every year, I'd probably be slapping that thing on everything I sent out to kids too. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when, when, the, when the big 12 has the, the completely crappy uh, draft numbers that they've had for the last 10 years, I don't know if I'd want my, my league to be associated with when I was talking about the draft and recruiting. So um <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm for using every bit of ammunition that you have, and the SEC is a that's a that's a that's a pretty big mortar shell uh, if you're if you're going to war against somebody. So, I would absolutely use it. But I, I'm a I'm I'm a little bit different. I don't get as mad about the FCS games. Um, I am in the camp of there is enough money to go around, absolutely. and I know because and it kind of goes back to those days in the Sun Belt. And you know, I I covered Georgia State the first year they went Division One. And, you know, I talked to their coach and he said, you know, yeah, we're going to play Alabama. Yeah, we're probably going to lose by 50. But you know what? <laughs> that put lights on our practice field. Yep. And, yeah, we're, we're going to go right. play. You know, we're going to go play this. I don't know who else they played non-conference. We're going to go play Clemson or whoever it was. And you know what? That was our weight room. So, I mean, I know I've talked to Terry Bowden about when he was at Akron and how he had to schedule because they had to meet their annual budget and fiscal responsibility of bringing in those checks. And they had to do it. So, especially if you're doing it with a team that's in state oh, like yeah. Auburn Auburn's done a good job of playing you know Jacksonville State and Samford and Alabama A&M and Alabama State and I think A&M does a good job of that you know whether it's 
you know, A and M Kingsville or uh, UTSA or, or absolutely, yeah, Sam Houston. People, <laughs> people get mad at those games, but it's like there's nothing wrong with supporting no. some of the other colleges, lower level colleges in your state, especially. Um, it's frustrating that Alabama doesn't do that because they're paying Tennessee, Chattanooga, and Mercer, and these other teams, and you know Kent State. And I'm like, you know what? Alabama State could probably use that check, or yeah. Alabama. South Alabama or Troy could use those checks. But I mean, it's whatever. But still, why won't they just, play? Why won't they play UAB? Is my real question. Man, well, that's a things. whole another. That's a whole yeah. other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> itself right there. That's not going to happen. Um, yeah, very true. But I, I think that, and, and again, if you're it's funny to me that someone would point fingers and I'll say this, I'll give Texas credit, man. Like I've seen them schedule Ohio state. I've seen them schedule LSU. Yeah. Like they, 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 they schedule quality non-conference opponents, but For sure. I've seen, I've seen A&M play UCLA. I've seen A&M schedule Colorado. I've seen A&M play Clemson. Like I don't, who, who is, who is even pretending like A&M is ducking out of scheduling difficult <laughs> non-conference opponents. So just be like, and, and so if you want to get mad at one of the games, but, one of the other games is a legitimate non-conference power five, like go find the other teams that are scheduling multiple quality non-conference power five games in a single season. Like that ain't happening unless you're Georgia, Georgia, like 2029, 2030, whatever it is, when they've got like, they've got like Florida state and Clemson in the same year. I'm like, what in the hell are you guys doing? Um, (laughs) Well, they're going to be like the first four loss team to make the playoff, but you know, like, it's just everybody. Listen, it's, 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 it's like, it's the downfall of social media. Everybody wants something to be mad at. And it's just, you know, I do it to myself, the, the context in which I take things via social media. It's like, it, it, it makes me into a negative person. A lot of times my wife gets on to me because I'll get a text from somebody and I'll be like, Meet me at the door. Like, <laughs> like, honey, they're just telling you to, to meet you at the door. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. But it's like, I'm so used to that. I'm so used to that, like, that, that just, you know, those every response is fight words. And yeah. it's just, it's kind of where we are, unfortunately. But yeah. people are going to want to be mad at. People are going to try to pick at other things with other teams and other leagues. And the SEC still has a few of those things hanging around. Like, if you saw the new schedule. That lettuce weekend, November 20th, is kind of going away. Not everybody's non-conference games are jammed into the week before rivalry week. So that's going to be one less thing that people can complain about. If you look Mm -hmm. at the non-conference games, you know, uh, A&M's got Colorado. uh, LSU's got UCLA. Bama's got Miami. Georgia's got Clemson. um, Mississippi State, I think, has has, uh, NC State. Yep. So it's like uh, Auburn's got Penn State. Like, okay, what are you complaining about now? You know, we still got we still got Louisville, Kentucky. We still got Carolina, Clemson. We still got Florida, Florida State. Like, what are you complaining about now? Oh, don't and worry, they'll find something. Absolutely, they will. But <laughs> they it's always just, do. <laughs> they're the you know things are being sort of chipped away, and but people like like you said, people are still going to find things to be mad about. <laughs> yep, absolutely. That's a fact. All right, man. Well, uh, I know we ran a little bit over, but we appreciate you jumping on. Um, if you want to plug your social media so people can go in there and tell you to meet you at the door. Um, we're <laughs> give you a follow. What you got? Uh, it's it's at, at Cole Kublik, C-O-L-E-C-U-B-E-L-I-C. Uh, that's Instagram, Twitter. Um, 
I don't know if people go to Facebook anymore. I'm not going to accept your friend request anyway. So <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I'm trying to get rid of friends on there when I yeah. do go on. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, well, well, we appreciate it. Uh, you have a good one. And um, hop on anytime you want. Thanks, man. Absolutely. We really appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Thanks, yeah, thank you guys for having me. Have a good night. Y'all too. And I wasn't sure we any questions in because um, his, his story of how he got there was so good. It just kept going. I was like, man, I, I thought mean, it was going to be like I was a player. So I got on, you know, dude, that's exactly like on. that's exactly what I don't know. Like I need didn't need to hear, but I love hearing stuff like that. Man. That was, that was that's exactly how my path is. Yeah, that was a hell of a story. Yeah. Like I'm, the dude I'm was hype. a pharmaceutical rep. Yeah. That, like, I don't know if you guys know how hard of a life a pharmaceutical rep Oh, I do. That shit sucks. Oh, yeah. You're peddling drugs to every doctor's office, and half of them tell you to fuck off at the door. I bet he could sell some product, though. Oh, I, I guarantee. Oh, that dude can sell anything. Yeah. But, like, 100%. trying to do this before the internet, or, I mean, I know that the internet is a thing, but, like, not like this, you know what I mean? Right. Coming up through radio, are you kidding me? This dude has cut his teeth. And like the like, and then to end up on Scott Van Pelt one day, like he was talking about, like, oh man, he's he's one of the real ones. We're putting this on a shirt, by the way. Meet me at the door. Meet me at the door. Meet me at the door. <laughs> Just a um, quick note. Um, at one point, Baylor was beating Kansas State forty-one to seven. Yes, they were. I was about to say that they've gone on a run. It's forty-six nineteen. Yeah, Jordy. Jordy just said somebody asked me. Oh, we got it. We got a comment. We got it. still here it's over go home oh you're expecting a teaser Ooh, well we don't have that kind of money you expecting sam jackson show up with an eye patch and a saucy little leather number go oh.